Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great uh, great to be together. And uh, we're going to jump right in uh, this morning. We've begun... Uh, this fall talking about um, really this idea of reach and what we mean by reach and what we don't mean by reach, uh, but specifically that reach measures not how big our church is, but it measures our heart. It measures what we're willing to care about. And so over the last uh, two weeks, uh, I essentially opened up uh, three cans. Uh, The first can I opened up was the can that talks about or addresses our distinctness. Uh, The third can that I opened up last week, I'll make some fizzy coming out of there, uh, was the can of goodness. And I just sort of let these run all over the place last week. Uh, But in the next couple of weeks, we're going to really look at this this middle can. Uh, And this is the can of oneness. And I will tell you, as I think about um, what we're doing, who we are, why we do it, I think of all those things. Uh, my own journey with sort of church and faith and growing up, um, I recognize that there are a lot of, of, there's a lot of hesitation, a lot of things that people see and perceive about the church. And this idea, this idea our own personal sort of character and development and um, holiness, you know, that, that part I get. Uh, goodness, we want to do good things for the world and make sure the world, you know, all those kinds of things and you know, serve people. But this idea of who we become together as a people has always been the most challenging for me and always the one that I resist the most for lots of reasons, because people are difficult. You know this, right? And it's easy for me to get me and my tribe and the people who believe and think like me. It's very difficult to start experiencing this when you sort of broaden it out, whether it's across ethnic lines, socioeconomic lines, generational lines, gender, all these things, right? It all of a sudden becomes very, very, very maddening at times. Yet this seems to be what God has called us or asked us into just sort of by way of full disclosure. When I was wrestling with my own sort of, you know, wrestling the ministry, first of all, I wanted to be an architect. That's what I wanted to be. Uh, that train uh, came off the rails. And so then I began to bargain with God. I don't know if you've ever done this. When you feel like God wants you to do something, you start to negotiate with him uh, sort of the terms under which you're going to do this. And so I was negotiating with God. I'm, I'm 23, 22 years old. 20, you know, and, I'm, and I'm, I don't want to go in the ministry and I specifically don't want to work for a church. My, I'd grown up in the church. I'd seen all the church splits, all the fun that is. Moved around. I've done all those things. I didn't want to be a part of that. So I thought what we'll do is we'll do youth camps. We'll do a, we'll, I'll go in the ministry, but I'm going to do youth camps. So what we're going to do is we're going to host our own youth camps. We had the whole resource to do this. And this is the great thing about youth camps. Kids come in for five days and you speak to them. And guess what happens when you speak to them and you're decent for five days at a time? 
You are awesome. They think you are awesome. And you just bring in a brand new group of kids every five, day, every five days and those kids just think you're awesome and you just gotta be awesome all the time. And the reality is because they only know you once a week, no one knows the better, right? And there's none the wiser. And so that's what I thought, this will be my strategy, this is what we'll do. And so I began to just read and say, God, what is it that you have done? Again, I'm in my early 20s and I'm trying to understand what God is saying through the scriptures as best I can. I kept seeing this idea of him creating a people, a priesthood. There are all these words in there that just sort of, I couldn't get away from. And it is honestly, you know, Matthew, where Jesus tells Simon Peter, upon this, this confession um, that I am the King, that I am Lord, the Messiah, that I will build my church and the forces of Hades shall not prevail against it. And it seemed to me that God, as much as I tried to get away from it, wanted or was interested in forming a church. And so now 23 years into this, it's actually has some really great advantages and really great disadvantages. We have students in our uh, people who came here as college students when they first started in our church 23 years ago, who now have kids of their own who are gonna be seniors in high school. It's like amazing. There's a long history. A lot of our staff, a lot of people have been here a long time. And we've had to forge you know, the beautiful thing, the, the advantage is we know each other, we've been together, we've seen all these things about it. The disadvantage is you can't make up stories about how good you were when you were young, right? Because they all know. And so I can't tell them how cool it was. So, so this is sort of where I, where I, where I want us to, to, to consider what it means for you, certainly today, but also what it means for us. Um, yesterday, I was watching uh, College Game Day. That's one of our Saturday morning rituals. Y'all watch College Game Day? No, y'all gotta watch College. It's like every day, it's like, coming to your city, right? I'm like, so we're, we're uh, get up in the morning, that's our thing. We get up and get breakfast, get a lot of stuff ready to go. And then at nine o'clock, College Game Day comes on and they have all these signs in the back of College Game Day. And there's all these people trying to put up, you know, their Venmo accounts to get money and all kinds of other things. And then there's also people who put up trying to get you to receive Jesus. There's all these signs. And one of them said, and it caught my attention, because it says, follow Jesus, not the church. And it basically is just acknowledging what has happened in the world over the last, much longer than we think, but particularly the last probably decade or so with the scandal and all the different things that go along and sort of the church is sort of on the front lines or front pages of all of these uh, scandals especially big churches. Um, and so there's just a lot of skepticism around this. So people still have Jesus, they don't love the church. And that's fine if you want a sort of your own personal character. It's fine if you want your own sort of humanitarian effort in the world, but it's not fine if you really begin to understand God's heart for what he wants to do in us, in us. So you gotta wrestle with this. So that's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks. Now, if you've been around Port City for a long time, you'll know that whenever I start a series, um, I always give you a couple of assumptions. So assumption number one is every human being uh, longs for or desires or wants connection. Every human being wants connection, okay? Um, and so we have to start thinking about what connection um, is. Uh, connection is this sort of space where we're gonna talk about this between, I don't draw stick figures because we have like hearts and minds and bodies. We're not just stick figures. And so everybody wants connection. Every human being wants something to happen in this space between us. Even if you're a profound introvert, you still want to have some sort of connection. We're made and wired for connection. The second assumption is that we are willing 
to connect around almost anything for almost anything. The way in which you connect with other people, it happens all the time. Really the question is, what is it that you are connecting around? People connect around sports teams. People connect around uh, hobbies. If you like golf or you like surfing, you connect around those things. People connect around politics. They connect around issues. They connect around all sorts of things. You get the idea, right? We, we, we are looking, there's some, some reason or some way in which we connect with other people. And oftentimes it ends up being sort of a, an exchange. It's a way for me to look at you because some of you connect with people because they make you look good, right? This is like, this is the way of like middle school and high school, right? You wanna connect with the cool crowd. Why? Because if you connect with the cool crowd, guess what you're gonna be? Cool, right? That's usually what happens. And so you, you connect with people because they make you feel good about yourselves. They, they give you some status. Um, other people connect because sort of some kind of mutual pleasure or benefit they get. This person buys me stuff or they do, they do things that I like. They do things that make me feel good about myself. There's all kinds of reasons that we, we connect with people. And what it ends up being is sort of an exchange. I'll give you what you want as long as you in return give me what I want. It's sort of this barter system of connection. And for some of us, this, what happens in this space, in these connections, is extremely important because this determines the strength and the depth of your relationships. Whatever it is that you are learning to connect, the habits, for a lot of us, right? Um, you, if you got married, you're like, oh man, she's hot. And, and you think it's gonna be a particular way. So you connected on this. And then when that's sort of, you know, when that's not enough anymore, you have to find other, and you're, you're willing to trade off. So it just gives its way to, from one sort of barter system to another that becomes, you cook, I clean. And you know, you do this and we'll become a good team or whatever it might be. And it, it just determines the strength and the depth of your relationship. And a lot of us, right, we connect around things, but we've not really pressure tested and tried to understand is what we are connecting around, like giving us the stability or the strength that we long for, that we need, or the connections that we are making with other people, will they really satisfy this longing that we have to be known, to be loved, to be connected with other people? And this works with your kids. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. So <clears throat> what I recognize, again, is that when we think about connections and asking people to connect, there is a risk. And we live in a culture that is fundamentally distrustful of most everything. Would y'all agree with that? I mean, that's just the posture. Um, everything feels like it's adversarial. Everything feels like you have to protect yourself from what everybody else is trying to take from you. It doesn't matter if it's like the financial system or the retail system or whatever it is, if there's all this sort of angst about these things. So there's just, there's a, there's a lot of sociological studies that have been done talking about, especially in this current day and age with the advent of social media, uh, sort of the, there was a issues on the left, issues on the right that have created a fundamental breakdown in trusting institutions. Most people have deep suspicions of government, of big business, corporations, that includes the church, universities, the medical field. I mean, this is just rampant. Our culture is just fundamental distrust. What happens is, and this is, there was a great article came out a few years ago. It was called, why, I, think it's, I think I'm quoting the title right, Why the Last 10 Years uh, Have Been Uniquely Stupid, I think is the title. It was uh, in the Atlantic Magazine. Uh, it was um, published in several different places. It's got a lot of traction. 
But his, his, one, of the, one of the points that he makes in this article is he says that because sort of the, the breakdown of any trust in institutions, we no longer have a unifying story. We no longer have a, a story that unifies us that we believe. So we ended up with all these fragmented connections that drives us into tribes. And it isolates us from anyone else's perspective. And it just leads to say the thing that social media has done, it, it has raised up moralism, the sense that we have a, a sense of superiority in our particular views about whatever issue it is, doesn't matter left or right, and the capacity to basically undermine or leverage those opinions uh, in ways that are harmful to other people and continuing to disintegrate us from one another. It's not a bash on social media, it's just observations that are being made. So the reason I bring this up is when we talk about asking people to identify with something, it's high risk. Because you don't want to be perceived as identifying with a person or a group that might get canceled or might say something that offends someone. That, you know, you, we just, everybody's super hesitant, so I get it. So I think we think about this, even as a church, is what we're asking of you, what we're asking of one another. I want to give you sort of two considerations. You might want to take a picture of this. We'll post it uh, somewhere this week so you can reflect. I think these are two questions worth asking uh, and spending some time reflecting on. Number one, question number one is, can we risk? Can you risk? Can I risk becoming a more authentic expression of God's redemptive community in the world? Can we risk becoming a more authentic, distinct people, right, who, who sort of embody this and, and, and then have redemptive impact or influence on the world around us? Would you risk that? And number two, the second thing is, can you set yourself inside a community that looks more and more like God's kingdom? Because all of us end up right in a connection point and we'll, we'll connect for a moment and then we stiff arm, we hesitate because we're not really sure what's gonna happen here. So this is what I wanna talk about is connection and what we mean by connection and why it matters to all of us in profound ways. I wanna read from the book of Thessalonians. Again, I'm using some of this, these ideas that are really familiar with all of Paul's letters, Colossians and Romans, I and mean, all of his letters start the same. I just wanna use Thessalonians. Thessalonians is toward the back of your Bible. Uh, if you get through the Gospels in Romans and Corinthians, you'll see uh, we use General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Then you'll come to the little section of T's. Uh, it's like Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. And that's how you find it. That's how I find it. Or if you've been here a long time, you know when I find, I print them off on cardstock because it's a letter written by Paul. So I try to read it that way and I'll take it and I'll lay it out on my desk and I'll read it all in one setting to try and see and understand what is it that Paul is saying um, in this letter to this church in Thessalonica. In order to understand Thessalonica, you actually have to understand um, what was happening. And for that, you've got to go back to the book of Acts. See, a lot of us think that you just read the Bible one book at a time and you go, oh, that's what it says. But, but there's, Paul is writing from something that happened that's recorded for us in, in Acts, which is another book earlier in the Bible. Paul is traveling around. He's investing his time in these churches. This particular church is in a little city called Thessalonica. It's got massive Roman influence, which means politically, it means that there's a, there's a way of life that is likely working for a lot of people that is under Roman uh, rule, under Roman oppression, which means the haves have and the have nots don't have a shot. And so this is happening. 
And so Paul is there and he comes in and he begins to talk. And what the gospel inevitably does, it includes people who aren't normally included. And people don't like the status quo messed with. And so the people in power, they go and they say, hey, Paul is leading this group and they're calling Jesus a king, but we only have one king and that's Caesar. Right, so you can't miss like the political and the, the cultural, the status quo implications on what, what's happening. So they, they hear about this. They go to Jason's house, which evidently is where this church was. And they try to find Paul and Silas. So they can beat him up and threaten him and all this. That's what they're doing. So they hide Paul, can't find him. So they grab Jason, take him out in the street, beat him up, put him in jail. And then they hide Paul and they, they, uh, him and Silas. And they, they flee in the middle of the night the next night. So Paul leaves. So that's, that's the scene. Isn't that, I mean, like, this, is like, this is like what's happening. So Paul and them are in another city. Actually, Paul's out here. So he writes a letter back to Thessalonica to his, his brothers and sisters. And here's how he begins. I want to just read this so you get the tone. He almost always opens his letters with a, um, I've been praying for you and here's why. And listen to what he says. Chapter one, uh, verse two. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus. Right, do you feel this? Like, have you written a letter to someone? Most of us are just like, you know, uh, hey, what's up, uh, K, you know, and then two emojis. Like Paul's like looking at them and he notices, he wants to pray and thank them that they have, they have been faithful in their labor that they've been really, really faithful. They have, they have worked and done things that they didn't know how it was gonna turn out, but they stayed in it. They endured because of this hope that they have in Jesus. So he writes these things down. And he goes and he says, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Do you, do you, get the, do you feel the tone here? Because this is, this is not... Like, this is not like cool things happening. and Everybody's like in a revival meeting. This is like in the thick of like disruption and uh, tension and all these things. And he's like, you knew we, we were committed to these things. We believed in these things. And you saw evidence of that in the way we were with you. And then this last line gives us a, cue. He's, a clue. He says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. This is the tone of the letter that he's writing. If you keep reading, you'll start to notice some things that I think are important and will help us, help me uh, talk about what I want to kind of wrap, uh, kind of set this series up with. First Thessalonians, the next chapter two, uh, verse three, for the appeal that we make, and I just want just to read this out loud. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we are, trying, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up our greed or to cover up greed for God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. What Paul is doing is he's setting this whole thing up saying, look, I know there are people who've come in and they've, they've used this platform or used this to sort of exploit you and to get things from you and they've disappointed you. 
They've used it to build their own platforms, to build their own uh, sort of brands. And that's maybe more of a modern version, but they, we know that people have used this to do that. But that's not who we are. And what he's basically doing is he's asking, he's asking them to trust him. He says, we lived with you. You know us. You know how we lived among you. We did not seek advantage for ourselves because of you, but rather we gave ourselves for you. He says that over and over again throughout his letters. And so what this gets me to thinking about is this idea, when I, when I try to put all these things together, the implications of this. And last week we mentioned, and we used this idea that we want to deepen, right? We want to deepen in our idea of oneness. And what does this mean for us, for you and for me? What's interesting to me, what Paul is doing is Paul is talking about his own personal integrity. That's what he's talking about. He's like, we came to you and we, didn't, we weren't trying to do anything other than what we said we were gonna do. So I think what we have to do, and all of us know this, that integrity, right? Integrity rests on a foundation of trust. Integrity requires, and when, when I think about you and I think about me, we think about myself, in what ways do you need to deepen in your own integrity? A lot of us, we don't have a good picture of integrity because we think that integrity simply means that you'll do what you say you're gonna do. That's like, that's like the benchmark of integrity. You said you're gonna be somewhere on time and you show up on time. You said you're gonna get this thing done and you got that thing undone, that you're dependable and people can, you know, they can trust you in a sense. But a lot of us have learned that we use our words for a lot of other reasons. And we would still hold that we have a sense of integrity. That sometimes the things that we say and even the things that we do don't actually match up with who we really are on the inside. There's a disconnect. I talk to people all the time. I've been doing this a long time. And some of it makes me a little bit jaded and cynical in times because the way people use words to get their way and to keep people at bay, right? To keep people from asking or pushing in any further, from connecting any deeper. But the word integrity it, it does mean do what you say you're gonna do. You should do that. But if you don't do what you say you're gonna do, right? You should ask yourself why. Or if you do what you say you're gonna do, you should ask yourself why. Because it's, it's, if it's only so people won't be disappointed in you, that just makes you a people pleaser. That doesn't make you have integrity. Integrity literally means it comes from the Latin word that we use. If you remember in seventh grade math, an integer is a what? A whole, any whole number. Integrity literally means whole. It means that all of who we are is integrated into one place. The strength and the depth of your connections is going to depend on what you learn to connect around how you learn to connect with other people. And this evidently, this, this is where I think it's hard. For, it's, it's for you to press your integrity. Are you a trustworthy person? If you were asking someone to trust you, are you a trustworthy person? Are, is, are you safe with someone else's trust? Of course, it's a gut check. It should be a gut check. I talk to people who are married and they have kids and whatever. They're like, this, this matters because you have, you, have, if you have people who are looking to you. We understand that the world doesn't operate this way, but this is why God has called us to be distinct. There's a distinction that we become this kind of people. 
And that's really the second thing, right? It's not just about your integrity and my integrity. I think it's about a corporate integrity, a collective integrity. How are we? You realize that your integrity actually shapes who we are as a church. This is why it's risky. This is why it's hard. At some point, you have to decide as a matter of sort of personal conviction that together or us or something bigger than you and your tribe actually matters to God's heart. The more I read this and see this, I I cannot get away from it. John chapter 17, when Jesus prays, this is what he says. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. He's talking about him and the father. He's praying to his father that they may be one, that, that all of my people will be one just like we are. I in them and you in me, so they'll be brought together in complete unity. And the way too many people think of this is you just get you and your tribe with your theological boxes and your beliefs and you organize around that. Now, let me make it very clear. God knows that that's how I want to live. I want it to be me and my Jesus and the 32 people who like my theological boxes and believe what I believe. And we just live this out together and then we can critique and provide phony solutions for the rest of the world and just take pot shots at everybody around us. That's what I want to do. That makes social media a whole lot more fun, right? That way of thinking works as long as you don't know or encounter someone who sees the world differently than you. Someone who thinks like you. We think about this idea that we all want to be connected. What God is doing is reconciling the world. There's a lot of talk about reconciliation. I remember the first encounter I had talking about specifically racial reconciliation. I remember I was, I was probably 20, I was maybe 30 years old. It's almost 20 years ago. I went to, it was 20 years ago, I went to a class called Wilmington in Black and White, talking about Wilmington's history and then just some of the other things that I just didn't know, I was unaware of. And some of the first statements that I heard from this class were a little bit jarring to me and actually sort of offensive. And I couldn't quite get my head around it. But I continued to go to the class and continued to try to read and continued to try to learn again. I was 30 years old, so still you know, very young, trying to figure things out. I remember there was a guy sitting there and he was my age and he told a story about being in our city and not being allowed to go to a place that I go to all the time He was not allowed to go there because of the color of his skin. I remember in that moment, I thought a light bulb went off. I said, that's why he sees the world differently than me. I can try to justify it all I want, but when I see through his eyes and I begin to understand his story, it begins to shape what I think about the way things ought to be. It begins to frame who and how I'm willing to connect with another human being. I have a really good friend Um, who's been working in some of the most complex circumstances in our city, dealing with generational poverty, culture of distrust, um, violence, you know, and and is plagued by some of the most acute systemic problems, challenges that perpetuate all the things that we see passed on from generation to generation. I've been very fortunate to spend time with him, to know a lot of people who work with him and on his team. And it's been some of the most inspiring things. And one of their mantras that they say is don't judge my choices until you understand my options. And you begin to think, when you, when you take that, what you're doing is you're learning how, how do you connect with a person who doesn't see the world or hasn't experienced the world the way you do? Because what's ultimately what God's after is oneness. 
And it's not oneness by people who think the same and look the same. It's oneness, and we're gonna talk more about this, under the allegiance of Jesus Christ. He is king. That's what Paul was talking about. He is king. Our allegiance is to him. This isn't about politics. It's not about policies, but rather it is about us and our willingness to connect who we are willing to care about and extend ourselves towards the willingness to enter in and understand. This was Paul's language. We do a lot of stuff in, uh, throughout our organization. Uh, we use Matthew's ministry uh, in Brunswick County, Fostering Grace and New. A lot of places we work very, very focused efforts on local. One of the things we do here in, in this particular area is we use Vigilant Hope, very strategically work with them. In fact, you can buy coffee from them every single day because uh, the coffee shop now is open every day. Everything that goes directly to the, their efforts that they're making. We were talking about this and the efforts they make, particularly with poverty in the inner city and some places that are just really, really difficult. And we were talking about, so the reason we want to be with you, the reason we want to go and roll up our sleeves and do the relational work with you, it isn't a means for us to share the gospel. We're not trying to get to know somebody so we can then give them the gospel or tell them the gospel. What I believe, I believe the scriptures teach this, is when you actually extend yourself to another person, that is the gospel. It is the gospel. I'm not trying to minimize that we need to be able to articulate and to say things and to help someone understand the implications and how to, how to find Christ. But I am saying that you don't love someone in order to convince them or persuade them that you're right. When you enter into another person's life, that is the gospel. Paul said, and look, look at what he says, right? He says, because I loved you so much, we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. I don't think he was separating these two. I think he was just indicating that these, this is the way in which this gets done. We enter in with another person and we help them understand it. And again, the reason this is so important is God hasn't called us to change the world. He's called us to love the world. And that means that you and I have to learn how to trust that God's love is sufficient to do the work that he intends for it to do. It is so hard so hard. One of the resources we're working, I want to read from this. This is what, let's read this together. <clears throat> we can make the mistake of thinking that oneness means sameness. Sameness makes oneness easy, doesn't it? You put a bunch of Duke fans in a room, it's all a piece of cake. You add a Carolina fan in and it's like everything's come off the rails. You know this. Sameness makes oneness easy. Difference makes oneness a miracle. Imagine, keep reading, disciples, follower of Jesus. Imagine us with different personalities, different joys, different traumas, different racial histories, different areas of brokenness, different socioeconomic realities, different vocations, hobbies, spiritual gifts, and callings, all experiencing oneness in Christ. Imagine what that might be like. Imagine if you and I became people whose, whose image was formed and shaped by the integrity of God's image, distinctly becoming the way he's called us and created us to be becoming that. And then through that, the influence that we bear is his love on the world around us. So imagine if we became this kind of people. What you have to understand is you will not get wholeness or oneness apart from wholeness. 
Our oneness isn't gonna be because we agree. It isn't gonna be because we think. It's gonna be because we have become. It's because there's something about who, there's something whole in us. God is longing, and this is clear from the scriptures, to reconcile the world to himself. This is 2 Corinthians 5. On the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself so that their sins might not be counted against them. Then he has taken that and he has called us and given us the same ministry of reconciliation. And the motive is because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. They have a new allegiance, a new way of seeing and living. And he brings us into this place. And so if you think about this, this is sort of God's grand vision for us. It's a gigantic vision for you and for me that God has invited us into to redeem the whole world. How's that feel? God's asked you and me to redeem the whole world, to return everything to his care under his rule of love and according to his kind intention, everything. How your shoulders feel. I think this is far more accessible and far more available than you can even imagine. It doesn't hinge on what kind of nonprofits or what kind of big things you do. It all begins on your willingness to connect. Connection is the first step in reconciliation. It's the first step in the way in which we learn how to live. And by reconciliation, I mean this. It's the first step in us becoming who God has called us to be, created us to be, intends for us to be, and to continue to bring that work to bear on the world around us until he does that with everyone and everything. That's his intention. That's why every choice, every connection matters. I remember this because this is, this is what it hinges on. When my, 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 I have two, two daughters, my youngest daughter, my, my firstborn daughter, my oldest daughter is 26. Uh, she now has uh, married and has kids of her own, which is the best thing in the world. And um, if you're a grandparent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel me very deeply right now. But when she was first born, we knew no one with kids. Like we were it. So it was like me and Julie, and we're bringing Madison home in her car seat. And I'm like, I've never held a baby before. I don't know if I'm doing this right. We get her there. And I remember I'm just panicked. Like, man, what is this kid gonna be? And I just begin to think about what she's gonna be like at five. And I was a youth pastor at the time. So most of the people I knew were in, their, were in middle school and high school. I'm thinking, what is she gonna be like when she's 16? I had this picture of this beautiful young lady. And then the next thing I know was this dude who broke her heart. That's exactly what I was like, oh boy. I remember thinking, when that happens, she's gonna feel like she's worthless and she's unlovable and she's not beautiful. And I'm gonna have to grab her by her face and put her face gently in my hands and say, oh, you are so beautiful. And you know what? She's going to have to trust me in that moment. So I thought, just like when she was like one, this is, this is my parenting philosophy. <laughs> Everything that I do has to build trust. Everything I do has to build trust. Every connection that I make with my girls has to build 
trust. And you just start playing this out. But we define connection. We're talking about connection is like this. Connection is to exchange. You offer, you give something of yourself to exchange life with another, right? With another. As we trust enough to live safely within the care of our community. What, what all those interactions were, because you have a three-year-old who, who talks back. I think it was, she was two, she told me she hated me. Um, we were, I was trying to put her in her car seat. I hate you. I'm like, who are you? They do the stiff thing. You know, you, I was like, they just stiff. I'm like, just slides in the floor. I'm like, what are, what are you doing? And, it's, you're, and you're, you're trying like not to lose your mind. And you're like, I just need you to trust me. You're like trying to reason with them. But every interaction, right? Is there learning, am I safe enough? Are you safe enough to care for me? Can I trust you enough to be careful with who I am, with who I'm becoming? You know, that's, that's every question, every interaction, every connection that you make. Some of them are neutral, no question. But some of them are building trust and some of them are undermining trust. And it does not take a lot of work to figure out what's happening where. What is the work is what are we willing to do? What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? Because we all make connections. Because I have girls thinking about it like this. There are guys. You're right. You make a connection with a girl. Is she safe with you? Can she trust you? Or are you subtly maneuvering to get something from her. This is, this is in every relationship, with how, how, but it all is about who you are. And then as we sort of broaden this out to who we're becoming, right? How do we become the kind of people where people walk in here with all kinds of brokenness? And I could give you a list, you know. There's abuse, there's distrust, there's manipulation. There's, there's so many things that have happened to so many people who are part of our congregation. And when they come in and they trust us, they have to trust us to live safely within this care that my heart, my soul, my story is safe with you, with us. I think that is tremendous hope for the world. Wouldn't you agree? If we became that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider who do you need to become? What kind of person do you need to become? I remember growing up and I would try to like, I had a bad temper. I want to like, my goal is I'm not gonna lose my temper. So the way you do that is you count to 10 before you act out. This is what you do. You count to 10. You're like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And you're still mad. You're just like, you're just not doing anything about it. So I thought, what if I could become the kind of person for whom those behaviors were no longer probable and perhaps even possible? Could that happen? Could we be so formed and shaped? Like, who do you want to become? I'm not talking about feeling guilty about what you've done or the way you act or the way you're likely to. I'm talking about formation. I'm talking about your willingness, my willingness to yield ourselves in community to Christ and his lordship. In what ways can you connect? 
These are all things that are available to us every single day this week that will all move us in one direction or the other if we'll simply be aware. Piece of cake, right? Father, would you help us? This isn't a matter of willpower. It is a matter of your work in our lives. Would we yield ourselves to you? I don't want to say things like that, anger or escape or manipulation, things that we have gotten steeped, patterns we have become steeped in, so hard to break. I ask, Father, that you would meet us in this places with your grace, sufficient grace. It would help us to be honest with ourselves, with each other. Father, in order for us to become whole, help us to see and to consider and to be curious. God, in that, that your work in us would bring us to bear the integrity of your image and the influence of your love in every connection that we make. What a gift that would be. We thank you. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king.